everyone. This is Miranda Fergus. Hi, I'm Maria Calatiud. Hi, I'm Colleen Brosnahan. And we are all here to continue on the discussion of visual literacies from last week. Um, this week, we are going to be discussing some articles on multimedia. Um, the first article that we read this week was from Clark and Mayer called The Multimedia Principle. And the main point of this chapter is to investigate whether people learn more deeply from words and graphics or than from just words alone. Um, in this context, multimedia means that both words and graphics are included in a presentation. Words can be referring to either written words or spoken words. Um, we'll eventually find out that it is more effective to use multimedia in a presentation as opposed to just written or spoken words, but we do know that everyone has different learning styles. Um, personally, I feel as though visuals help me remember what is being discussed by the presenter and they keep me focused as opposed to just listening to someone lecture. Um, Maria, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I definitely feel like I get a better understanding of what I'm reading if there is some sort of visual that goes along with it. Um, what about you, Colleen? I find that visuals help me make connections, and I'm more likely to remember a presentation if I can associate it with visuals. So graphics are static illustrations, drawings, charts, graphs, maps, photos, or dynamic graphics like animation or video. And there's different types of graphics. Decorative graphics decorate the page without enhancing the lesson. Uh, an example of this would be like clip art. It's something that will just make the page more visually pleasing, but it doesn't necessarily add to the content. Representational graphics portray a single element with a caption. Um, an, an example of that would be a photograph of equipment in a maintenance lesson. And relational graphics are, they show the quantitative relationship among two or more variables. This would be something like a bar graph or a pie chart. Organized graphics show the relationship among elements. This would be a diagram that visually is connecting the elements together like a tree diagram. Transformational graphics show changes in an object over time. An example of this would be a time lapse, either presented in a series of photos, a video, or a GIF. Interpretive graphics are visuals that make intangible phenomena visible and concrete. Um, so examples of these would be like a drawing of molecular structure, series of diagrams showing flow of blood through the heart, or something like pictures that show how data is transformed and transmitted through the internet. This chapter explains that when creating a multimedia presentation, pictures should not be an afterthought. Instead, designers should consider how words and pictures work together to create meaning for learners. Only the pictures that help the learner understand the material should be used. So for example, decorative graphics are not really helpful because they're only there for added aesthetic appeal or humor. Okay, so we know from the chapter and reading that there's evidence that is that shows that it is recommended that when creating a presentation you should include words and graphics rather than words alone and this just that would just simply be called a multimedia presentation um, so the reason for this has to do with how people learn the reading explains that learners have separate channels for processing verbal verbal material and for processing pictorial material 
Um, the reason that multimedia presentations are more effective is that people are more likely to understand material when they can engage in active learning. Um, so the reading specifically says that multimedia presentations can encourage learners to engage in active learning by mentally representing the material in words and pictures. This helps make connections between the pictorial and verbal representations. Just words alone may not give people the opportunity to connect to it with other knowledge. I'm sorry, to connect it with other, with other knowledge. Um, however, we also learn in this chapter that the multimedia principle works best for novice learners and not necessarily for expert learners. Um, so this is because more experienced learners are able to create a mental image in their mind so they do not necessarily need images in their learning. So at this point, um, we know that having graphics and words is beneficial to the presentation, but there's another type of graphics that we have not discussed yet, and that's animation graphics. Um, animation refers to either a short video or a GIF as opposed to the static graphic, which is just a still photo. Um, in many cases, just using photos is best for learning because the learner can control the order and pace at which they learn at. Um, pictures make it easier for a learner to go back and review certain things that they may have missed and aren't necessarily rushed along by the pace of the video. Another argument is that animation may overload the learner's memory. Um, although both of those arguments are against using animation, there's some content that is suited for animation animation or video. Um, so in general, while making a presentation, you should use static illustration unless there is um, a specific situation in which animation would be helpful. All right, so I wanted to give an example of one of those times where an animation or video would be um, really helpful. So I'm a soccer trainer and um, I'm constantly looking for practice drills. And I find that when I look on the internet, a lot of times there um, is text with static pictures explaining drills. And when I'm looking at those, I can't visualize what the drill is like. You know, it's just like you're, you're looking at this picture and it's telling you what to do, but it's just a static picture. So it's not like people moving. Um, so when I look for drills, I always look for videos um, that also explain what's going on. That way I can really see you know, I can see the kids passing the ball, I can see the way that the drill moves, and it's much easier in this case. Thanks. So that's a great example of um, a situation where illustration, or I'm sorry, animation would be very helpful in your teaching or an in instruction. Um, so the topic of including multimedia in a presentation is important for pretty much anyone presenting information, whether it be an, an educational setting or a professional setting. Um, as we all know, there are different types of learners and some people learn better by making visual connections. Um, so by providing both words and visuals in your presentation, you're appealing to all learners. Um, I know most people in the class are going to Adelphi to become a teacher. Uh, so this is something that's really important to take into consideration for your lesson planning. Um, and when putting together the information that you're going to present to your kids. It's very important to know your students and know their level of learning to assess whether having these visuals in addition to just your spoken words is going to be um, a necessary 
differentiated instruction or if it's going to be overload for the kind of students that you have in your class. The next topic that we're discussing is the redundancy principle. To sum this up, the idea of the redundancy principle is that in general, it's not recommended to add text to a narrated graphic. The reason for this is that learners may pay too much attention to the words on the screen and then pay less attention to the graphics which are there to add emphasis to what's being taught. They may also compare the on-screen text with the narration that they hear, which is ultimately distracting to the learner and they'll be less likely to retain the information that's being presented. Learners benefit from listening to the narration and seeing a visual example to draw a connection and understand the information. Research has showed that learners who watched a presentation containing narration and graphics and then took exams based on the lesson did exceptionally better than learners who had the same lessons but also had text included in the presentation. This helps to prove that the text is unnecessary and overloads the learner's senses it makes it difficult to absorb the information. Okay, so I just wanted to add that there is an oppositional view to this and it's called the learning styles hypothesis. Um, and I feel like this is something we hear about all the time when we are when you're becoming a teacher, um, especially pertaining to differentiated instruction. Um, and this hypothesis basically says that some people have, you know, that everyone has different learning styles. Some people are more visual and others are more auditory. Um, so instruction should be flexible enough to support different learn to support all of the different learning styles. Um, so basically, according to this theory, the more ways the information is presented, the better. So they're saying that you should have, you know, in text and narration at the same time. Um, but going back to what we're we're talking about, which is the cognitive theory of multimedia. Um, this theory says that one, people have separate channels for processing verbal and pictorial, pictorial material, and that two, each channel is limited in the amount of processing that can take place at one time. So therefore, adding redundant on-screen text to a multimedia presentation could completely overload the visual learning channel. So overall, um, what they're saying in this specific chapter is that you should not put the same words on the screen as you're speaking about in your presentation. But just like everything that we deal with, there are some exceptions where it is appropriate to use the redundant principle. Um, one of these are when there are no other concurrent graphics, meaning when there's no photos or animations to go along with what the speaker is saying. Um, it would be more appropriate to have the text on the screen because it's not overload. Um, it also may be beneficial to use the redundant principle if the text is unfamiliar to the learner. For example, um, oftentimes people have English language learners in their class. So learners who are not native to the speaker or who have specific learning disabilities Abilities, um, or even when the material is long and complex and contains unfamiliar words, it would be helpful then to have words on the screen so that the people can follow along. Um, it is also okay to put words on the screen if the printed words are not obtrusive um, to the overall presentation. So this would be something like keywords um, or somewhere or words that 
um, signal where the viewer should be looking on the screen. So they're just simple little things placed on your presentation, not an extended text reiterating what you're already saying. Um, and lastly, presenting text on the screen right after your narration is helpful, but you should not have the words directly on the screen while you are talking about them because this is just too much information to someone to process. Um, I personally don't know if my learning style agrees with this because having words on the screen usually helps me guide my own note taking. Um, although I see where the argument is coming from because there's definitely been times in class where I'm writing down exactly what's shown on the screen and then all of a sudden I finish my writing and I look up and I realize that a few minutes have gone by without me knowing exactly what the professor had said. Yeah, um, like for me, I feel like a lot of times if I was in a classroom where I'm the narration and the text are at the same time, what I end up doing is I end up comparing them. So I'm like literally, instead of paying attention to what the actual content is about, I'm trying to like see if the words and what is being said is the same. So then I like completely get lost. I've had a similar experience in my current job where I work in insurance and I have to take continuing education courses that are presented online. And a lot of the times they're using slides where they have a speaker who is giving an example of a scenario and then you're seeing pretty much exactly what the speaker is describing along with some graphics that, you know, break down what they're talking about. And I find it gets distracting because a lot of the time I'm reading the text and I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting all everything from the text, but then I'm missing out on some other things the speaker might add in explaining. Um, so I think that I find that I usually just end up doing better by just tuning that out, listening to the speaker and just jotting down some of the keywords to help me remember. Yeah, I, I was also going to just add that I think it also depends on what the subject of the lesson is, um, because for some subjects, the redundancy principle holds up, but maybe like you said before, you're talking about native speakers, but maybe like in a language class um, for a language teacher, you know, they might want to put up the text um, so the kids can see it and listen to it because it's new to them. Um, and then I was also thinking like kind of the same thing in maybe like an English class um, when students are learning like Shakespeare and they have no idea like what the old English, like what the meanings are, maybe for them it would be helpful to see it and to also hear it. Um, but anyway, going into our third reading, which is the cognitive style of PowerPoint. Um, okay, so in this third reading, uh, basically what we're what the author is talking about is all the things that he hates about PowerPoint. Um, so we all know that PowerPoint is the most common application for presenting in schools and professional settings. Um, so it's used all the time. Um, so it was interesting to hear about all the things that he hated about it. All right, so the first issue he has with PowerPoint is that PowerPoint is presenter oriented. So, um, you know, it's all about the presenter and it's not about the audience. Um, and then the second one is that there's extremely low resolution. So basically you cannot put a lot of information on each slide. So a lot of times you end up with like way too many slides with not a lot of information on them. The third issue that he has is with bullet points. 
he said that bullet outlines dilute thought and create generic, superficial, simplistic thinking. And the author highlights a severe problem that was caused by NASA's use of bullet points in a presentation. In the Columbia Accident Investigation reports, the PowerPoint bullets were really unable to explain the danger that was happening. Meanwhile, people, people were sending hundreds of emails trying to explain the danger. And he's using this as an example, um, as an argument that for serious presentations, rather than presenting slides, paper handouts would be more effective to communicate the seriousness of, what, of what's going on. Um, another reason that the author pointed out um, where PowerPoint can be detrimental is because we use it too often with our students in schools. Um, often teachers ask their students to make a PowerPoint um, and present the information that they're researching or studying. But in reality, the students are then making, say, a six slide presentation that totals 80 words, and they're not necessarily looking as deeply into the topic as they should be. Um, we should be teaching them to write essays and present on that information instead of make the PowerPoint and presenting on that. This way that they're learning to gather more information um, instead of just what is needed for their PowerPoint. Um, Overall, from all of the different readings, I think that the first two readings are really discussing the same thing and are on the same page with each other. They both agree that it's important to use multimedia when presenting information to any group of people. Um, and using multimedia is helpful, but it should not be overpresented by using audio, print, um, printed words on your presentation and pictures, because that's too much for someone to process in the amount of time as what is presenting to them. Uh, the third reading is a little bit off topic from the first two, in my opinion. This is more about um, PowerPoint specifically, and this talks about the reasons why PowerPoint is detrimental to a presentation, um, but the author doesn't necessarily mention whether he feels that visuals in themselves should be represented um, in a different way. So I would be really interested to hear from this author if he feels as though multimedia is important in presenting information, just not using PowerPoint, but from um, another application. What do you guys think? Um, I was going to say that I also think that it, it depends on the actual PowerPoint presentation. You know, um, some PowerPoint presentations are, I think, pretty successful. Um, but, you know, there are definitely a lot of times where uh, PowerPoint presentations just kind of go on and on and there's not really that much information that you're getting. Um, I was also thinking about pertaining to whether or not the authors would agree with one another about um, the, the different readings um, and I think that also depends on the PowerPoint presentation because Tuff says that PowerPoint should not be used at all but I think that Clark and Mayer might argue that as long as the PowerPoint applied to the multimedia principle and the redundancy principle, then it would be fine to use PowerPoint. Tuft also says it's helpful to provide audience members with at least one mode of information that allows them to control the order, the order and the pace of the learning, unlike slides and talk. And Clark and Meyer also speak about the importance of the learner controlling the pace and order. All right, 
Was there anything else that you guys thought was important from this week's readings? Um, you know, I just wanted to add, you know, just as future teachers, how important it is when we're creating lessons for our students that we know this type of information, you know, that we know that we have to pay attention to the fact that there are different learners in our classroom. Um, so it's all, it's all important for us to know. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a topic that is relevant to um, our future work and anyone else that is going to be a teacher in the future. So thank you for these resources. And um, I look forward to hearing everyone else's input on the topic. So if you guys have nothing else to add, I guess we'll end it here. Nope, that's it. Yeah, Thanks, that's it. Guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.